You got a marvelous vibe. And I know it starts from inside. So fill your heart with pride and let your light shine brightly. Yo, don't hide. You're a work of art. Unforgettable and off the charts. Welcome to a podcast dedicated to your mental health. I'm Bailey with the Recording Library of West Texas. Hi, I'm Christy Edwards. I'm the Executive Director and a Therapist at Centers for Children and Families. Hi, I'm Melanie Size. I'm the Marketing and Development Director at Centers for Children and Families. Together, we're bringing you tips and tricks on how to navigate this thing called life. This is Center Solutions. Due to the nature of some of the topics that are discussed, listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone. We are back with Center Solutions, our podcast, and this is the COVID edition uh, where we are bringing information about current events, not just the pandemic, but everything going on. And today with us, we have John Mark Eccles, Executive Director, and Laura Chandler, Chief Operating Officer of The Field's Edge. Welcome, you guys. Hey, thanks for having us. Um, this is such a, a wonderful topic and an important cause that you all serve. And a lot of times when we start the podcast, I'll find a, a little snippet of an article that's relatable, um, usually speaks to us in, in some way that has some connection to the, to the topic. And I happen to be looking through your website and I found a part of a blog piece that you had written, John Mark. I thought maybe you could read that for us since sure. you wrote it. And this is just a, a little uh, a little quotation that I thought was pretty powerful. Sure. I will be happy to read it for you. <clears throat> In the last few months, we've begun to see our RV residents flourish. We've been learning along with them how they feel loved. They've been able to shed some of the protective shell they've developed while living on the streets, and the beauty of who God created them is shining through the little cracks. It's a good reminder that even the most closed-off person on the street has been designed with a desire to be fully known and fully loved. This isolation is a poignant moment for the rest of us to be empathetic to the loneliness they've experienced for long periods of their lives. In just a few weeks, I'm thirsty for connection. I miss my family. I miss gathering with believers on Sunday for worship. Without a clear end in sight, it feels like grieving something dear that I've lost, something that many of our friends on the streets lost long ago before the pandemic, if they ever had it to begin with. Wow, that's that's a beautifully written and such a great example of the fact that there are people that live in our world that you know we don't we don't recognize it but they are already living in this situation i know um we've talked about this uh with other there are a lot of social issues that are uh, they're being i mean it's on the rise now all of our social issues and for example our elderly they are also very isolated so it's good for us to have that moment to connect when you say christy Oh, absolutely. I was just reading the last few sentences um, again to myself, and I'm like, I think that's what's going on with me, and I have the ability to get out. So some of our elderly people that are basically shut-ins, um, isolation is such a way of life for them, and it's made even worse because people can't even come see them. So I think that's uh, 
Right. I mean, and we've talked about it with those with a visual impairment, too. Yes. So it affects a lot of people. And we're so interested in learning uh, how our homeless population is being affected right now in our community. So it would be great if you guys would explain to us what the Fields Edge does. Sure, I can do that. Uh, The Fields Edge, our primary mission is to cultivate home by building a permanent supportive tiny home community for the chronically homeless in Midland, Texas. And uh, we really have been working on getting that built over the past few years. But in the meantime, we've just continued to build relationships uh, with the homeless. We believe that the uh, the root of homelessness is really the catastrophic disconnection from family and relationship. And so our entire model is centered around rebuilding uh, a sense of family and community and connection. So uh, even though we don't have the village built yet, we do have uh, the ability to to carry out our mission in other ways while we're waiting for that uh, really glorious day to to open that village. Uh, We do have four neighbors that are housed in RVs right now, and we started that process towards the end of last year. And so... We've walked with them through this uh, this COVID pandemic and uh, tried to navigate what that looks like to have uh, people that are, you know, living in RVs and newly uh, newly formerly homeless and just ad- adjusting to what life looks like in that situation. So um, we also we have some other interesting programs. We're we're really um, really big on empowerment. And so one of our programs is a litter cleanup program with Keep Midland Beautiful and Christmas in Action that helps people to um, to get employment from a really uh, low barrier situation where they can go to work on our litter cleanup, um, pick up trash for the day, get paid, and then uh, begin to receive case management, help getting IDs, connection to resources, and a pipeline towards housing. So that's kind of some of the things that we're up to. And in the middle of that, you know, everything, like I said, is centered around the people that we are serving and the people that we love. Well, that, that's, that's a lot. I think we, we always love when uh, other organizations come and share their uh, stories and their services with us because a lot of times, even though we all have a general gist, we don't really get the depth of, of what's happening out there. And sounds like you guys are doing excellent work and we appreciate it. Um, I think it would be interesting for John Mark or Laura Wan to kind of um, walk us through what a, a tiny house uh, would look like, especially for, uh, you know, our listeners who are visually impaired to help them understand kind of what it, you know, because it's so compact and you have everything you need. And that's what the goal is to try to get this village built. So could you kind of, you know, for, for the visually impaired, talk about what that would look like? Sure, I can do that. Okay. So we, um, in phase one, we're starting with 10 homes and they will be centered in a pod, uh, with the front doors facing each other and kind of a courtyard in the middle. And the idea behind that is that, um, it forms like little tiny neighborhoods and that's, we call our residents neighbors. Uh, and within each pod is a, communal bath and kitchen facility, and then also a missional home. So there's nine 
tiny houses for um, for our neighbors that are will be formerly homeless. And then uh, one of the houses, the missional home, is for John Mark and his family will live in our first pod and be our first set of missionals. And then as we grow, we'll build these pods um, in in tens, and each pod will have a missional home with with a family um, within the community or missionaries that have felt the call uh, mm-hmm. to come and live uh, with their families out in the community. Uh, the tiny homes for the residents or the neighbors, they will be about 200 square feet. Uh, and they don't, they have no plumbing. Um, so they're just little, they're bedrooms, um, essentially with a little kitchenette. Uh, and then each, each pod or neighborhood has, um, has a commercial kitchen and bath facility. Um, and the idea there is that that promotes community um, in itself um, within that tiny neighborhood. And then the missionals um, can host dinners and, um, you know, host, co- introduce new people, you know, coming into, into the neighborhood to the other neighbors um, and really just facilitate community within those pods. Um and we had a, each house will be different. We had a, um, a competition out at the Museum of the Southwest, I believe it was last year or the year before, uh, where uh, architects entered in different designs, uh, and we picked four that were really shovel ready. Um, so they'll, we'll start with those four, but they will all be different and, and beautiful. That's exciting for people. Just to think about, you know, ownership of that. And whenever we have an application process and one of the forms within that application asks things, um, kind of simple questions like what's your favorite book? What's your favorite color? Um, and the idea there is that we can, um, make the home really their home and, and how they like it and, and, and put things in there that are special to them. Oh, what a great idea. It's very personalizing and certainly makes it special. Yeah. So we're, what the, what is on everyone's mind is how are you at the field age? How are you guys coping with uh, what is going on right now? Um, how are you all coping? And then tell us some things about your uh, clients and how uh, they're coping. Yeah, I'll start with that. Um, so when everything first started developing with the COVID pandemic, we really had to take a pretty hard pivot. We're, we're in the middle, uh, to, well, towards the end now of our capital campaign, which is very exciting. Uh, but we've been really focused on the campaign, on all of our city permitting and construction stuff, and, and then also on our, our neighbors that we've moved in. Um, but we really had to, to really, um, respond and try to get ahead of what was coming. So we did a lot of uh, street outreach, distributed a lot of hand sanitizer, CDC flyers, masks, uh, really trying to educate our homeless population that are currently on the street of what what was happening because when we first kind of went out to see, um, to survey the situation, we realized that most people were either unaware or um, just really not informed well, and so we we wanted to do as much as we could to to, to equip them, to prepare them, and to prevent the spread of COVID through the homeless population. Because in our in our uh, point in time count that we do every year, there's a really high percentage of our homeless uh, neighbors here in Midland that are in the really at risk category. I mean, just by age. 
uh, average age on the street is 55. And then you factor in just the fact that they don't sleep well and they're not receiving proper health care. And so I would say, and I think it's pretty reasonable to believe that almost all people that are currently on the street homeless are at risk um, just because of the, the situation that they have to live in. And so we were pretty, pretty concerned. And so we tried to respond um, as really as much as we could. We put out some hand wash stations uh-huh. uh, in a couple locations in the city and some porta potties because private uh, restaurants and things that our people typically would use were shut down. And uh, that's, that's, there's, it, we felt a little bit, um, you know, like we couldn't do enough. Like there was just this overarching thing that was happening and, mm-hmm. you know, our real worry for our people that we were pretty limited on what we could do. So we did, we did everything we could think to do, uh, just trying to keep them safe. And uh, I think that, I think that it helped. Um, we we've never heard of anybody that in Midland that uh, is homeless or any of our neighbors that were diagnosed. And so uh, we're very, very thankful for that. No, that's that's wonderful. Yeah, I know um, early on um, that was some of the information that we read about or watch on television and the news, especially in larger cities like New York, um, how their populations are affected. And it is quite frightening because it's difficult to protect people without, you know, we're all told to quarantine in our homes. Well, what do you do when you have no home? Right. And one of the things we were trying to do in the beginning was to figure out, okay, what do we do when someone might be showing symptoms or is concerned that they might have it? Uh, and so we talked to a lot of our, our local health providers to see what we could do about, you know, how does, when, when somebody has, has symptoms, what are they supposed to do? You know, they can't call the hospital number. They can't go to the drive-in clinic. You know, all those options were kind of just not going to work for them. Uh, and so as we, as we worked on those things and we're moving towards them, things started to slow down with the, uh, the number of cases in Midland. And so we never really had to engage those things that we were working on. But yeah, that was definitely a real concern. Like what happens when, you know, Joe starts getting sick and we think he has it? Like what do we do? Yeah. Those are, those are scary things that there are no easy answers for. Mm. <laughs> so so re- reaching out is a good, was a good idea. Absolutely. Chrissy always talks about the importance of preparedness and how that uh, helps with her. That's a good coping mechanism mm-hmm. because there's so much uncertainty for all of us right now. We don't know. And I don't know um, how our statistics are right now with our homeless population. Do you have any information? Have we ha- have we seen a rise since things have changed in our economy here? Yeah, we haven't, we haven't, we haven't done any official counts since January and our number was 227 uh, total. And that includes the number of homeless people, both unsheltered on the street and in our shelters and temporary housing. Um, a, a pretty close to about a hundred actually on the street right now. And just in our interaction and, and experience being out in the middle of all this, and we really kind of had to go into overdrive during this. So we've, we've been working hard and uh, finally getting a little bit of respite, but we really did see a lot of increase in the number of people that we had never seen before. 
I think a lot of that was coming from those that were just kind of on the edge, maybe living in weekly motels and weren't able to make ends meet for the week and ended up on the street. And so there was one day I was out and met 10 new people that I'd never seen before. And that was pretty frightening to think about. If, it, if that was a trend, that would be really, really concerning. But it, it did slow down a bit. We have seen more people, but uh, the nature of homelessness in Midland is, is really interesting because people are really spread out and scattered. And so it's kind of hard to keep a pulse on what the actual number is until we do our official count. Wow. Well, I know we have so many factors in our area that, you know, contribute to this problem and right now certainly with our oil price drop uh, that makes this a little bit unique and uh, it's a great cause for concern that we might have some uh, a, a rise on our homeless population um, which brings us to our, our mental health aspect um, I wonder what your uh, clients have to share do they have stories what are the, what are their fears you mean specifically related to COVID or just general? General. <laughs> yeah. Right uh, now, at this point in time, you can pick pick something. <laughs> There's so much going on right now. Uh, yeah. Definitely, we have been talking about, like, you know, there's COVID, and then we've got the economy, and now with all of these protests, I'm sure that all of this creates a new new worries and new sense of anxiety for our homeless population. We definitely, within our residents, so we've got four, and when when the virus happened, three of our four residents lost their jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have seen, um, and on top of them losing their jobs, um, the resources dwindled. So, you know, they couldn't go to the library to, to use a computer. Um, you know, they couldn't go to um, to to goodwill to to get some job training and some vocational skill training and help with their resume um and and it, and it was just harder to apply for jobs um i know we we did one of our residents she did get reemployed we helped her get reemployed uh, at a grocery store um during the virus but it it was difficult you know her and i sat in my office and it People weren't hiring and people weren't interviewing and, you know, her, she's paycheck to paycheck and there, there was a lot of fear of, you know, she'd just gotten into this new RV and trying to pay rent and, um, just, and there's no end in sight and she, and, you know, they, she felt that. And another one of our residents, he does, uh, a lot of contract work and he expressed that you know, he didn't know when that contract work was, was going to come back, um, which was oil and gas related. So, you know, that there was that a lot of job, job loss fear for sure. Yeah. And I think all of that, um, plays into, you know, your mental health or your emotional well-being is whenever you have, you know, the anxiety of not having a home, you know, do, do you have enough money for food? Do you have a family that you're trying to feed? You know, are you going to be safe if you're no longer in your RV, if you're back really on the street, those kind of things, you know. And, um, you know, I think, I think that's whenever people worry about COVID or just about, um, I don't know, just being discounted in general. And I, all of those things, I mean, most of us have not ever had to have the fear of not having a place to stay or having enough food to eat. But those are very real fears 
that our community is facing, which I couldn't believe when we talked um, to Libby Campbell with the food, and she was talking about how many hungry people there were in this in this area. And I'm like, there's money, there's food. Why are, why are there hungry people? So I got a real education from her. So, and I think that that's what you guys are providing. Um, us and our listeners is the education on, you know, what the homeless go through on a daily basis and the fears that they do face and the worries that they do have mm-hmm. and the insecurities. I feel like this scenario, this situation that we're dealing with right now, our worldwide crisis on all different levels has really uh, connected us in a way that we could never have anticipated. And it has brought to light some of these uh, issues that people are living with on a regular basis. So we might have a little bit of, of these experiences on a different level, but this is, I can't even imagine the level of panic and anxiety of um, what, what that must feel like. Definitely escalated. Our, you know, uh, our resident that lost his contract work, I think we had just gotten him into an RV maybe a month prior to to the virus starting. And, you know, so he had just gone from living in an abandoned building for a couple of years to, oh, I, you know, I've got a place to live. And then, oh, I've lost my job. So quite a roller coaster. Yeah, whenever you're, whenever you're thinking, you know, one step forward and, you know, 10 steps back. And at some point, you know, unless you're very determined, it might be very easy to just give up and say, I'm just going to live in an abandoned um, building for the rest of my life. So I think that's the, um, what I'm grateful for uh, that you guys are providing to this community is that um, encouragement and that hope that we want all people to have. We don't want people to be, you know, ashamed of their situation in life because it could be any of us at some point. So, we, you know, people that can accept it's not the handout. It's, you know, just like we are here to help you and we're not going to do it for you. We have, you know, protocols that you have to follow. But if you can, with our support, you're going to get to a good place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I will say that that hope and encouragement that we really strive to provide for our people um, was really mutual in this time for me personally. Like, we, just as a, in our family, we're um, we live in a tiny home that's mobile, and eventually we'll be moving out to the village for that first missional home to live in the first group of ten houses uh-huh. um, this, in this neighborhood. And um, our lease was up in our in our current location, and we were really struggling to be able to find a place to put our house. And so there was a there was a period of time where like I was pretty anxious about. Where am I going to live? Uh, what's this going to look like? I've got two kiddos and a baby on the way coming in September. And, uh, and that was really anxious for me. Uh-huh. Uh, and so uh, in, in a lot of ways, our neighbors were able to help me through that because they're like, well, we've seen this kind of thing before. This isn't new to us to be living in sort of a survival mentality. And uh-huh. they actually provided a level of calm for me. Uh, that was really helpful, too. So I really appreciated that. What a great teaching opportunity, because mm-hmm. I think we're I think we're so so many of us were just used to, you know, we, we got put into this place during isolation where it's like we never had to think about running out of items at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And that's nothing in comparison to running out of food entirely. Mm. So. Yeah, and we, we've seen a variety of statistics on, you know, 
on on this number that I'm about to give you, but we've seen from anywhere between 50 and 70 percent of Americans are one paycheck from becoming homeless. And essentially what that boils down to is that they've got less than a thousand dollars in savings. And if something catastrophic happens like a job loss or health issue or whatever, um, if they've got no one to call to, to get some help, they could really be in trouble. And that's the story of so many of our people. We've, we've really done a lot of asking about, okay, well, what, what causes homelessness? And, you know, if you ask off the bat, we'll get an answer like, well, you know, I, I, uh, I lost my job and I got sick or I, you know, I, I got in some trouble and that really kept me from getting jobs and all this other stuff. But if you drill down even further to the bottom of everybody's story, it's the fact that one of those triggers occurred and they had zero people to turn to. And mm-hmm. that's, that is what happens with homelessness. And then it begins this spiral where you just lose everything. And the last thing you lose is your hope. And then there you are alone and really needing some help. So that's, that's something that we've learned over the years is that at the bottom of homelessness is complete disconnection and hopelessness um, mm-hmm. that we really, really believe that we have um, have a way to help restore that. You know, I think that that's necessary, um, you know, if you – and I, I quote this all the time. Y'all are probably tired of hearing it, but because, <laughs> you know, my training is in psychotherapy – um, there's a hierarchy of needs that was got, you know, um, designed by Abraham Maslow many years ago. And once your safety needs are met, and, you know, that's what you guys are working to do, then it's a sense of belonging. And so, mm-hmm. you know, those things are so important for us to be able, able to even function in society as human beings. And so you're talking about having a complete disconnect and no resources. That takes away the first two levels of the things that are completely necessary for a person to 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 be able to function. Mm-hmm. So I think y'all are um, meeting those first two needs, and you know, and, and some people that are homeless now may have had that in the past, so they know what that looks like, and they can fall back on that and strive for it. But if it, if it's truly been somebody maybe that's struggled with um, addiction or you know like a serious mental health issue, they may have never had that. Right. So um, I appreciate what you guys do very, very much. Well, we appreciate what you guys do a lot, too. Well, thank you. Well, I think it's um, it's that's such an important thing that we can all connect on. And right now, I know when you mentioned, you know, your own personal experiences, I think we all talk about this a lot, especially just because we're all uh, you know, surrounded in our nonprofit world, how scary it was initially not having any idea how, you know, especially, you know, we, we rely on our community to help fund our causes and our community is suffering right now. So this has been a really eye-opening experience for so many of us um, to connect with even our own clients, uh, the people we serve. It's like it's made us all very much one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and we, I met... Um, not long ago with, I don't remember the exact date because it's all run together with John, Mark and Laura. And we've talked about, you know, any kind of collaboration that we can do as far as mental health and, you know, any of their neighbors. And that's something that we're definitely going to be exploring because um, those, those needs are, are huge. And, you know, we're hopeful that some of the funders in the area will see fit to help us with some of that. And uh, we're going to all have to continue looking for donations, fundraising, uh, anything to help with those kind of collaborations. Yes. We hope that anyone listening, if you uh, 
if you find it in your heart to make a donation, could you uh, let us know how our listeners can reach out and either help volunteering or or donate to your cause? Sure. Well, we just actually launched uh, the public phase of our capital campaign today on Facebook. So you can find us at on Facebook, The Field's Edge. Um, and then you can also go to our website. We've got a donate page on our website, um, www.thefieldsedge.org. Um, and then you can always reach us um, at but by email at info at thefieldsedge.org. And we'll respond to you and answer any of your questions and um, get you plugged in to, for some volunteer opportunities if you're interested that way as well. Yeah, Thanks. and I'll put in another little plug too. So throughout this COVID pandemic, we uh, we decided to do something a little bit out of the box, and we're already a little bit out of the box anyways with tiny homes and everything else. So we just sort of embrace that. And we have two llamas that are being certified as therapy animals. My wife, Brianna, is the llama mama. And um, part of this that we part of the thing we did was we thought, well, how cool would it be for all the people that are locked up in their homes and staying away from everything? And I heard could, about this. We could, we could do some we could do a llama parade. And, and it started with one of my friends whose his son, uh, it was his ninth birthday. And we just heard that he was really down, that he wasn't able to have a birthday party. So we just got the llamas in the trailer and drove him over there and did a little drive by parade. And then that sort of birthed an idea. Uh, for us to use that uh, platform as as a fundraising opportunity for our Clean Up Litter program. And so we did a deal where, you know, for a certain amount, you could, for 60 bucks, you could, we would drive by your house with the llamas, you could pet them through the trailer, and that funded one person's wages uh, for one day. And then up to, you know, $360 donation would get you a uh, the llamas out of the trailer, photos with your family, all that stuff, and that funded our uh, trash program. Three, uh, three workers for two days uh, in a week. Um, so that's something that we did, and, and we found that to be really, uh, really awesome for those that did participate in that uh, opportunity, just to have a little bit of joy with some llamas and pet some animals. And it, it, it was really good for us too to, to get out and, of course, put our masks on and stay away from people, um, but let them play with the animals. Gosh, we talk about creative fundraising, but I have to say that is, that's definitely it. I don't know. Um, I joke about how with the way the world is right now, I wouldn't be surprised if I went to my front door and saw a pig. It would be funny to see a llama though, and I did not know that could be happening. Yep. <laughs> well, and that is, that is still a possibility. So that's if you want, still a possibility. So if, if you want the llamas, you can go to our, our Fields Edge slash donate page, and there's instructions on the different levels and how you do it, and We'd be yeah. sure happy to come by your house with our llamas and <laughs> give you a little joy. I love that so much. I've got to come up with a good good plan for the llama party. That's got to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bet we well, can out. Oh, definitely. Um, we appreciate you guys so much. And all, as always, uh, we want our listeners to remember that if you uh, if you need help, please give centers a call. Um, our Website is centerstx.org, or you can contact us. Our information is is all on our website, and we'll also be at the end of the episode. So, thank you guys so much for participating. We learned so much, and uh, we're excited about a possible par- possible partnership with you all. We sure thank are. Thank you for too. the invitation. Yeah, yes. thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. Maybe the next time it'll be in the studio with Bailey. Yes, <laughs> that'd be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> 
Center Solutions is a production of the Recording Library of West Texas. Post-production work is done by Bailey Hennis. Content is provided by Melanie Size and Christy Edwards. Contact Centers for Children and Families at 432-570-1084 or the Recording Library 432-682-2731. Email Melanie with questions you want answered on the show at msize at centerstexas.org. That's M-S-A-I-Z at C-E-N-T-E-R-S-T-X dot O-R-G. Both nonprofits are on all social media platforms. See you next time.